His strategy simplified. If you find yourself struggling to communicate in a way that breaks through with your audience, this episode is for you. In this one-hour training, uh, Naman and Jenny Ray share the concepts that we teach teams at top consulting firms and across the Fortune 500. They'll give you practical tools to help you run more effective meetings and spend less time creating slides. It's a really fun lesson. Grab your pen and paper so you can take notes. There's a lot to learn here. Let's get right into it. Hi, everybody. Happy Monday. Uh, Naman here with Jenny Ray from Management Consulted. We're so excited to be with you for this lunch and learn session at the beginning of this uh, August week. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about storylining for effective presentations. Uh, and before we dive in, I know we've still got folks trickling in from the waiting room, getting set up with your, your audio and your video. So just want to start off with a couple of announcements before we, we dive in here in the next 60 seconds. Uh, first, the reason we're holding today's session is because we've had outsized demand from our community to bring some of what we're teaching our private equity and consulting firm and publicly traded company partners uh, to them as well. So today's a, a snapshot of what we're doing with our uh, corporate partners inside of Taylor Trainings. Uh, and so if your organization, if your team could benefit from more of what we're going to cover today, you can learn more uh, through uh, the link here on the slide, and, and we'll try and pop it into the chat as well. Uh, but it's just managementconsulted.com slash storytelling. Uh, you can learn more about what a tailored training for your team could look like there. Uh, and then join us next month as we do a deeper dive into uh, specifically kicking off a presentation effectively. We're going to be talking about executive summaries. Uh, and if you're nerds like us, then that's going to sound really exciting <laughs> and uh, thrilling to you. So uh, next month's Lunch and Learn is going to be an executive summaries. Uh, and again, through the link on the slide, uh, you can get on the list to, to learn more about that event and when it's going to happen and get the Zoom link for it. Uh, but we're going to be consistently doing these Lunch and Learns here to bring some of what we're, uh, we're teaching to our corporate partners to our broader community. And we're really, really excited about it. So I think we've got quorum January. Folks are, are here and, and ready to go. Uh, and so we've got a couple of opening questions for you so we can get to know you a little bit better. So I'm going to go ahead and pop a poll up here uh, onto your screen in just a minute. Let's see if it's going to work for me. Uh, but really, what we want to know is just kind of which level you're at. Uh, let's start there, right? Are you kind of at an analyst level? Do you manage a team? You manage an organization? I'll leave this poll up for about five seconds, uh, and then we'll move on with our with our time together. All right, three more seconds for those of you who haven't gone ahead and answered. It's like an ex existential question, right? Come on, who are you? Yeah, this is exactly. what we're asking. <laughs> okay, it's it's not as it's not as deep as that. <laughs> So let's go ahead and, and pop the results up here. And it looks like about half of us manage a team. So that's helpful context for us as we move throughout today. Uh, about a quarter of us manage an organization or a division or a business unit. And then about a quarter of us are, are individual contributors. So fantastic. Uh, really helpful context for us as we kick off today. Second question, and this one you can unmute yourself for, or you can utilize the chat, but it's an open-ended question. We'd love to know what your biggest pain point is when it comes to presentations, right? As you're developing or delivering presentations, what do you struggle with? Or, or maybe what do your team struggle with that frustrates you? Uh, so we'd just love to hear for a couple minutes uh, from folks on the call. Uh, unmute yourself, utilize the chat, uh, but I'll just open up the floor at this point.
I know my biggest pain point is when people come to me with slides without the story first. So I don't know if that resonates with anybody here on the call, but I want story before content. Dariel, balancing between style and substance. Yep, that's a challenge. Desiree, getting a large amount of information across in a short amount of time. That's real. We're going to talk about that today. If you all want to build on that, uh, no pressure at all, but do you want to talk about how you address those challenges you're facing currently? Sharon, finding points of engagement with the audience without getting off track. Yeah, there's a fine line between building rapport and just going completely off the rails. My <laughs> so real. <laughs> I'm 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 uh, capturing these as well. No one, I think they're really beneficial. Mm. Fantastic, thank you. So, Michael, even though you know you're the smartest one in the room, right? Making somebody else feel like they're the smartest one in the room. Yep. <laughs> and I, I see a couple of thumbs up to that, so I think you're striking a chord there. Anybody else? I'll keep this open for about thirty more seconds. If there's something else that you want to share with us that we can address here in the next few minutes. I know it can take a few seconds to type something in, so I'm willing to be patient and endure the awkward silence. I'm going to add mine in here to them on. This is I, this is my big pain point: options without answers. Right? I don't. I don't. I do not need a menu. I have lots of menus in my life. I want. I want like a. We should do this, and here's why. Um, and so, I, you know, I really appreciate that people want to show me all of their work, but I care a lot less about that than I do. Um, about what we should do. Well, speaking of menus, I think that's a good menu of pain points to start with. So appreciate y'all sharing those with us. That definitely resonates with me. I think it resonates with Jenny Ray as well. Distracted audience, Denise, yeah. We're going to address here really, really early on in, in today's call how we can uh, avoid a distracted audience. So that's a really good segue to my opening, Denise. Uh, I, I did not plant that that comment, everybody, but uh, <laughs> that's that's really, really in the direction that we're going today. Uh, so let's start with an example. I'm going to pop these two examples up here on the on the screen. You can read, so I'm not going to read them to you. Uh, but you've got you've got kind of two variations of the the same phrase here, the same sentence. Uh, and I'm going to pop a poll up, and you all tell me. And Jenny Ray, you might have to do this now. It's not giving me the, the ability to do the poll, but uh, go ahead and tell us which approach sounds clearer to you. Is it the blue or the orange? I've got the poll up. So Desiree says orange. We'll leave it up for five, 10 more seconds. That looks good. We're at 73% participating. So if we could get to 80, can we get to 80, everyone? Yeah, that's pretty good, Mon. Amazing. What are the what are the results? I'm dying to know. So 53% said blue and 47% said orange. Wow, we've got a split decision. I love that. So I'm definitely on team blue. So 
here's the difference between these two answers, uh, these two phrases that we're seeing on the slide right now, right? The first one tells Jenny Ray what I want her to do first, right? No options, just the answer. Hey, Jenny Ray, we need to go to the mall and here's why, right? I need new shoes and you want to return a shirt. The orange box is how all of us are taught to communicate growing up, which is give me the reasons, the rationale, the data, the methodology first, and then end with the punchline, right? So I need new shoes. You want to return a shirt. Let me build a case for what I'm going to ask you to do. And then, hey, what I'm going to ask you to do is we should go to the mall. And to Denise's point earlier, right, how to avoid a distracted audience. One of my big tips for avoiding a distracted audience is telling them immediately what it is that you want them to do or believe or take away from your communication. Uh, and uh, that's a, a critical and an essential part of the framework that we're going to walk through today, which is called the pyramid principle. Uh, and so if you all joined me for last month's call, uh, I, I broke down the principle in, in some depth. I'm going to give you a recap today for those of you who weren't able to join me last month. Uh, and then we'll we'll move on and talk about storylining uh, in a presentation setting. Uh, and just so everybody knows, uh, when we share the recording to today's call, I'll also share the recording to last month's call. So those of you who weren't there with me last month can, can put the two together uh, and get a full picture. But one of the things we're going to do today is really focus on leading with our, our answer, our key takeaway first, and building the case for that afterwards. Jenny Ray, you wanted to say something? I just wanted to weigh in here. I think that there isn't anything wrong with point two. We just want to make sure that we identify this because uh, as we are training organizations and coaching people, usually they come to us with the same pain points that y'all mentioned, right? We have a large audience with different perspectives. We have a lot to communicate. Um, and so we're we're not at all saying that you can't or shouldn't communicate in way number two. We're just saying with all of the constraints that we're facing with the Zoom environment, with people that are busy going in multiple different directions, with limited time with senior stakeholders, with a lot of the issues that many of us are facing to create the maximum effect in the minimum amount of time, um, option one is going to get there. The the one downside, you know, um, we didn't have y'all defend it. If, if people were like, I'm team orange because of X. I would say the one downside of the pyramid principle, which we will address as we're going through today, is that you might agree with the reasons, but disagree with the answer. And um, what we're going to find is that that actually drives engagement. It, the disagreement is a part of engagement in a conversation. And so I just wanted to make sure I highlighted that so that we were clear. Absolutely. And I would much rather have your disagreement early than your apathy. Uh, and so uh, I want to understand early on if you disagree with my with my key takeaway and why you disagree with it, so that in minute two of a thirty minute meeting, I can reorient if I have to, uh, and I can I can address those things that you care about instead of finding out minute twenty nine that hey the whole time you've been stewing in the audience because you disagreed with me and now we've got to schedule a follow up meeting and right by the time we meet next week you've had a whole week to stew on why we disagree uh, and so I've got an uphill climb next week to address something I could have addressed in the meeting today. So for, for many reasons, not just engagement, but also just politically speaking and, and building alignment, I wanna find out as early as possible if you disagree with me so I can address uh, those issues inside of the, the meeting and the presentation that we're in. So our key takeaway for you today, so we just told you, right? Like our preferred approach is to lead with with a key takeaway. Here's ours for you today. And, and we wanna lead with it pretty early on. And, as, and it's this, if you're going to apply this approach, it's gonna make you a more effective communicator and leader. Uh, and that's a bold claim, 
and, and we've got some reasons why we believe that's uh, an accurate claim. Uh, and so number one, we want to ensure that your key takeaways are clear and easy to understand uh, as you're meeting uh, and presenting your ideas. Uh, and so if you employ this pyramid principle approach by elevating your key takeaways, it's gonna make them clearer, it's gonna make them easier to understand. Second, it's gonna help you emphasize the most important actions to take coming out of a meeting or a presentation. We'll talk about next steps, we'll talk about driving action uh, from a meeting instead of just uh, communicating information. Uh, and then third, it's going to increase your engagement by moving you from communicating information to communicating insights and key takeaways. And we've already addressed that today. Uh, and so if you will employ this approach that we're, we're teaching and preaching today, uh, you'll see the, the outcomes that you see in the orange boxes, and that's going to make you uh, a more effective and clear communicator. One of the things I just want to mention at this point, uh, to, to Jenny Ray's point earlier, where she said, look, the the orange box isn't necessarily the wrong way to communicate. Kind of one of the the ways that I I try to identify uh, what I'm going to communicate in a specific presentation or meeting context is I actually ask myself three questions. So I'll just share these with you now, uh, and if you like them, you can use them as filters for for your own stories as well. So the first question I ask myself is who are my stakeholders, right? And often we've got a diverse group of stakeholders we're addressing, but who are my main or my key stakeholders? The second question I ask myself before I start to put any story together is what do I want them to do or what do I want them to believe? And that gives me a clue as to what my key takeaway should be. And then the third question I ask myself is why would they not do what I want them to do or why would they not believe what I want them to believe? So what would some of their objections be to what, what the story is that I'm bringing to the table? Uh, and I use those as my kind of initial three filters to start to, to even craft uh, and think through what my story is going to look like. Uh, and so if I don't have the answers to those three questions, I'm not ready to start building a story yet. Naman, can I just, can we go back to that for just a second? Yeah. Can I, um, can we just ask by a show of Zoom hands or engagement in the chat, how many of you lead or have some, um, you know, strong connection with a customer facing role? Like a, you're in a sales role, a marketing role, um, you are doing something aligned with um, customers. Just by a show of Zoom hands or um, or in the chat, you can just put yes or no. We didn't put that into the poll, but I, um, I, I just wanted to highlight one of the main learnings that we've had. <laughs> a lot of people, not just with me, but like with me with an emphasis, right? Like loud me's um, and and um, high hands and uh, capital me's and exclamation mark me's. Um, okay, good. So it seems like we've got maybe... 10 to 15% of the group that have self-identified in that. Um, when Naman was talking about this, it made me think about what if, like one of the differences um, in when we've taught a sales training, like a big aha moment that will often come in is that um, it, people will say, great, you know, um, we know why we want them to buy it. And the emphasis of the entire presentation is on the features that they will get. Uh, but when we flip around the question to why would they not buy it, uh, the answers are totally different. It's it's not that they wouldn't buy it because the features don't exist, right? So the answer is almost never the features. The answer is something else. There's some internal barrier. There's you know a a, a cost or a budget issue. There's a concern about the um, ownership that they would have internally. It's 
it's never the features that ends up being the key thing. And so a lot of what we end up doing is completely remaking entire, entire sales organizations' presentations to not focus on the features, but to focus on the decision to purchase. And that's a pretty transformative moment. And so um, just, you know, if anybody kind of wants to uh, weigh in on that or, or give insight into how you do that or how you feel like you don't do that, that's just been a big moment. And I mean, we, we do... Um, I would say about 10 sales trainings a quarter. So we do a lot of these and, and we're right in the weeds and we're like, as a customer, you are, you're doing a great job of communicating all the things, all the bells and whistles, right? All the things that your product or service does, but we, we don't want to do it. We, we just come in with that bias. And so how are you going to get us from here to there? And, um, and so when we remake it like that, the story can be a lot more powerful. And I think the answers to the three questions I mentioned earlier will help you identify Right, what the key why is uh, that your your customer would have in in saying yes. So uh, if I'm speaking to a kind of C level or C suite audience on, on the customer side, right, like Jenny Ray said, it's never the technical features that are going to get me to buy. It's the efficiency upgrade. It's the revenue uplift. Right. It's like it's the metric that I manage to. It's the KPIs that I care about that are going to get me to buy. And then when we move further downstream in that sales process, and I do talk to the technical team, maybe they're going to care more about the features than the folks that are making the final decision. So I tell a different story to the technical folks than I do to the, the final decision maker. Uh, I'll, I'll pause there and just like January said, see if we, we can get somebody else's feedback on how they're implementing this in, in their own work right now. Any, any questions or insights about what we've shared so far? I don't know, Naman, I'm worried if there's no disagreement, we should keep going. I'm sure we'll find it soon. I'm not used to this. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure that there's going to be lots of questions and comments as we, as we move throughout today. So once we have uh, thought through the answers to those three questions, here's what the pyramid framework or the structure looks like. Uh, and so I'm going to walk you through a context setting framework called SCQ, Situation Complication Question. Uh, it's one of my favorite frameworks to very, very quickly align folks on, on the question we're answering today before then moving into the, the heart of the pyramid, which is the, the key takeaway or the recommendation or the insight that you're there to, to share today. Really, that, that key takeaway, that recommendation is the answer to the question that you just raised in the context setting. Uh, we call that the assertion. And that is the foundation of the pyramid. This is a strange pyramid where the foundation is the top. Um, you lead with your assertion, with your answer, uh, and you don't just lead your communication with it, but you also lead your, your analytical work process with it as well. Uh, like I, I would come up with the assertion with the answer first as a hypothesis and use that to focus my analysis. Uh, so this is a great, not just communication tool, but a work planning tool as well. And that's a conversation for a different day. Uh, but but I lead with my with my assertion first, and then I identify the reasons why the supporting rationale why that assertion is the right one again for this group of stakeholders um, at this specific point in time, uh, and so we call those the arguments. The supporting rationale are the arguments, and these really are just the chapters of your story. They're the the, the separate sections of your presentation that, when taken together, prove that the assertion is true. Uh, and, and the right option 
for this particular group of people at this particular point in time. And then inside of each chapter, you've got your specific data slides. Uh, and these are the actual facts, the analysis uh, that fit nicely into one chapter of your story. And when those three to four slides in that chapter are taken together, they prove that argument to be true. Uh, and when all the arguments are taken together, they prove your assertion to be true. And so this pyramid here on the slide is not just a representative pyramid because I ran out of space on the slide. It's actually how long I would recommend that your one hour presentations are, right? If you can look at the example here, I I'm really gonna push you today to have three argument chapters maximum for one assertion and inside of each chapter have a maximum of three to four data slides that support that chapter. So if, if you're doing mental math along with me, right, that's 12 to 18 slides total uh, for a one hour presentation. One of the big pain points that we run across when we work with our partner organizations is they say, I built a hundred slides and I only got through 15 in my meeting and I wasted so much time in the prep, right? And, and the reason why people are doing that is because they build slides first and try to force fit them into a story at the end. And what we're recommending that you do is you develop the story first, and then you only build the slides that fit into that story, right? We should be spending 95% of our time focused on structure and on story, and 5% of our time focused on the slide building. And what we find often is that everybody's kind of got that ratio flipped, right? And, and the higher value output here, the higher value work here is building the story, right? And, and there, are, there are junior folks on my team who can build the slides when they know exactly what the story is going to be. Uh, and so the the higher value that I bring to the engagement that I bring to the meeting is putting the structure together. Uh, and so this is a great way uh, to ahead of time build the structure uh, and, and identify what the story is that you want to tell. Naman, now, we, oh, go ahead. We got we got we got some fights getting ready to start. I'm ex I'm excited for this. Okay, you want to address some of the comments in the chat now? Oh yeah, I do. I do. Okay. okay. So the first one is is it. I actually want to get the audience's feedback on this first before you and I weigh in on this, because I think we have a unique perspective. Um, Y'all are, you know, in, in the weeds, in the trenches, on the ground um, answering this. But the, the first question was, is, is it always better to go top down or are there times when it's better to go bottom up? Um, and so I would like for somebody to make the case, if you believe that it is sometimes better to start with the slides and go to the story of why that is true. Um, and and if you can, then, you know, I think we'd really like to have that open-ended discussion. But I think that's what's required here is that there has to be an example or a specific situation or an addressable time when you're like, yes, we should go bottom first. So yeah, Tiffany, do you, do you mind sharing what your insight is on this one? Yeah, for sure. So I think that it's better to go bottom up when it's the customer, or the client that's providing the assertion already. So I think that if, if if they already gave us the KPIs, they know what they want and they're asking us for process instead of the actual outcome, um, then I think that might be better to go from bottom up. Okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just write that down. I think that's that could be an, an interesting point. So we can talk about that in a second. Yeah, Michael, I saw your hand next. Yeah, so I believe that if you have a presentation being made to a technical group, many times they want to establish the ground truth facts before you start getting into your argument or assertion. Because if you can prevent the data and the facts that form the foundation of what your follow-on arguments and assertion will be, you will at least have their attention that you're based upon 
you know, ground truth in presenting the um, the arguments. Great. I I, I want to address that separately in just a minute, um, but I think that's an awesome point. Um, okay, who else did I not? My, Michael, I saw your hand. I think I saw a third hand as well. Did somebody else want to weigh in on this? Great. And uh, Nicholas did it in the chat. Naman, you want to read that one out? And... Yeah, let's see here, Nicholas. So two times when bottom-up is better. Number one, it's a problem that many people have tried to solve better and failed. And then number two, the audience is deeply skeptical. Uh, and I think what you mean there is you don't have the trust of your stakeholders. So I, I've got... I've got kind of answers or rebuttals to, to some of those examples, but Jenny, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you lead the way. Well, look, I, um, I think that what we're arguing about, first of all, I just want to clarify, everyone is arguing about the order of presentation. Um, and so I want to separate out here that there are two pieces of the use of the pyramid principle. One is how you present it. And the other is how you use it to work plan. And so I don't think that anyone made the case. And if you're still wanting to, you know, please push into it for why you should start with the data first instead of the answer in terms of identifying what you need to prove and how to prove it. Um, and so in terms of work planning, I think all I heard was just a reinforcement of the alignment that we need to know what the recommendation is going to be and how exactly we're going to prove it. Um, and then specifically the data in order to do that. And, and that it is not natural for us to do that. Sometimes we like to look at the data and then come up with conclusions and try to work it into the story. But but that I didn't make hear anybody make a case for why it would be better. Um, so Naman, I actually think you know we didn't put this slide in here, and now I'm, I'm like this is a great example. We're demonstrating to you how we are learning our audience, and so uh, what y'all all mentioned would be addressed by the piece on this slide that we did not teach on, which is a separate whole section. So I think we're going to have to teach on this another time, um, and maybe we'll add it into the how to open a great presentation. But the um, the SCQ, Naman, do you want to just little talk a little bit about what that gives you as a buffer? in the presentation in order to um, get you to a place where you can start Absolutely. with this every time. I actually, I do have it in here because I, I anticipated this. So let me, let me teach this now. Let's skip ahead. Uh, and so one of the reasons we lead with our assertion is so we can elicit immediate audience reaction and then reallocate meeting time. So that's exactly what we're going to do now. And I'm going to skip ahead and talk to exactly what you all care about. Uh, before I get there, though, let me just show one one additional slide here. I think that there is an argument to be made for the bottoms of approach at some times, uh, but I don't think that it's valid in, in most business contexts. So I think if you are writing a peer-reviewed journal article, you should use the bottoms up approach. I think if you're writing a report, like an engineering report for a bridge that you're building, I hope you use the bottoms up approach, right? Like there are times when I think it's valid to include 99.9% .9 of the data and like lead with the data and be incredibly data heavy, right? And so that's the standard approach on the left-hand side of this slide. And I would argue that in 99.9% .9 of cases in our worlds, in the business context, our goal is not to prove that we're right or our goal is not to prove a point, right? Our goal is to gain buy-in, motivate action and, and gain alignment across a diverse team or diverse sets of stakeholders. And when we have a different goal, it's okay to take a different approach. Uh, and so the 80% okay here is referencing that it's okay for me to only include 80% of the data, enough information to get a team to alignment or to get a team to a decision point, and then to move forward. 
Uh, and so the reason why the, the triangle, the pyramid on the right-hand side of the slide is smaller is not because I'm a terrible slide builder, but because it's actually, right, when I am utilizing the pyramid principle, uh, what I'm doing is I'm telling a shorter, more curated story. Uh, and so I've got a specific goal, a specific purpose of every interaction. And that goal is to get you to buy into the assertion that you need to believe coming out of that specific meeting. And so then I'm only going to put a story together that it, that addresses why that assertion is the one you should believe coming out of that meeting and only include the data that's going to help you uh, align on that assertion for that specific meeting. And so every single time I communicate, every single time I present, I've got a different assertion. And every single time I present and I communicate, I've got a different story or or a nuanced story that I'm putting together. And so even if my goal uh, to, to take Nicholas's example is just to um, right, uh, align somebody on process, then, then my uh, assertion would be, this is the right process for us to employ and here's why. Right. Like that could be uh, that that could be a valid assertion. And then I can put a story together to convince somebody why that's the right process. Uh, and, and so, uh, I would argue that that most of the time in, in a business setting, uh, pyramid principle, like that top-down approach is going to get us to the answer and the alignment faster. And one of the ways that, that it does that is pairing it with SCQ. Uh, and so SCQ here is always the first slide that I would start uh, a presentation with. And, and it's, a, it's a context setting slide. And, and so SCQ stands for situation, complication, and question. Uh, and so if you want to frame your story with uh, some uh, initial data, with some initial context, this is a pyramid principle friendly way for you to do that. And so let's start with the situation. Uh, the situation uh, is just a neutral description with facts uh, that your audience will agree upon. And I'll show you an example on the next slide. But but if you are, are meeting with uh, kind of a, a broader group of stakeholders that haven't been involved in every step of the project lifecycle. And you need to catch everybody up really quickly on what you've been working on and, and why it's important and why they're there today, right? Uh, the situation is a great uh, chance for you to just, just align everybody around what's been going on, uh, right? Nobody can argue with the situation. But hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. But there's there's been a complication, right? There's a reason that the project exists. There's a reason why you're there. Uh, there's a reason why you're meeting. Uh, there's a problem, right? And and so you want to just and often many different solutions, right? I think that's like one of the challenges that that so many organizations face is that they could do it internally or externally. They could do it with this partner or that partner. They could do it now or later. They there there are just multitudes of decisions that stack upon one another. And so really clarifying what decision is trying to be made is important there. Absolutely. And then and then aligning everybody around the specific question you're there to answer today. And I think that's one of my challenges when I'm in a meeting is there's never just one question that needs an answer for us to get to decision point. There are multiple questions that need answers, but there is one big question that needs to be answered. Uh, and so aligning everybody around what the big question, the big goal of the meeting or the presentation is, uh, and then framing for everybody, the rest of our time together, I'm going to spend answering this big question. That's what we're here to do today. Uh, and so that one slide can look something like this. So here's a, a kind of a, uh, an agnostic example here. So, Situation, right? For two decades, Dell was the leading supplier of computer systems with a highly configurable D2C model, right? So if y'all are the board of Dell, you're the steer co, and we're presenting to you today, right? I might say, thanks everybody for joining us today. Uh, I'd like to set some context uh, just for the first couple of minutes before I dive right into what, what we're here to solve today. Uh, and 
you know what, we were doing fine, right? For two decades, we were the leading supplier of computer systems. We have a highly configurable D2C model, but something changed, right? While we focused on tailored customer solutions, Asian manufacturers emerged with significantly lower cost alternatives. And so the question that I'm here to answer today and to align us uh, on today is how can we gain competitive advantage? How can we regain competitive advantage? Uh, and I'd go right from here then to my executive summary, which leads with my assertion, right? The assertion then is the answer to the question I just raised. So my recommendation would be how we can regain competitive advantage. And so this is a, a, an example of how I'd frame this here uh, on a first slide. I'll pause here, January, let you speak to this uh, and then we can take questions. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to go back to really address what Nicholas said, because this was, I think, I think this will, you know, really sharpen the focus on it. One of the the situations that he said, right, you should lead with the bottom up is it's a problem that many people have tried to solve better and failed. This SEQ is where you acknowledge that, right? This has been the white whale. This has been the thing that many have people have tried to. So you're not trying to enter a meeting with a completely irrelevant approach. You're actually trying to address the elephant in the room right here um, in the SEQ and to get heads nodding. Um, and the second one is where the audience is deeply skeptical. And so again, here, uh, the goal is to have one slide before you lay on the kind of like, we should remake our entire supply chain recommendation or something that's that could be kind of a radical recommendation where you get everybody's head nodding about where you are to start with. Um, and so you will then begin your disagreement on a foundation of agreement. And that's really one of the goals of this um, here. I also just wanted to, Naman, if it's okay with you, address one other question. Um, and I feel like this is probably the right time to do it. Cal asked an awesome question, which was, what would you suggest if your lead asks you to build slides before the strategy? So the first thing we suggest is send them to us. They can do our managing the pyramid principle training um, because many leads don't know how to do this and are will we'll go through six iterations when one would have been fine. Um, it's a it's a normal thing. We actually see it a lot in engineering organizations that we work with, right? Um, so the engineers want to spend a lot of extra time on the data and they wanna know that the proof points are there and they wanna know that they're not making them up to fit a story. Um, it's an intellectual honesty question. Um, so Naman, I thought maybe you could weigh in a little bit on that one other, other than the send them to us for the manager training. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that I would do is I would build a, a storyboard first and we'll get there today. And I would take like a high level version of my story to my supervisor and say, hey, here's what I'm planning to build. Can you speak into this? Right. And get their get their feedback, get them to, to poke holes in my story or in what I'm planning to do before I go build 100 slides and, and try to focus their thinking a little bit more around uh, what it is that we're actually trying to communicate and who we're communicating to. So I can I can honor their request by going to start and putting uh, going to start putting uh, pieces of the story together without putting a hundred slides together that are 80% going to be wasted. Uh, and so the storyboard that that we're going to share with you after this call and that we're going to walk through here in a few minutes, I think is a fantastic internal alignment and planning tool. Uh, so you can go take a stab at the story first, go to your lead and say, hey, here's what I'm going to build. This is your opportunity to speak into this before we go do a whole lot of work. Uh, that would be my, my first recommendation. Numan, can I um, also, I've got a poll that I want to pop up here. Um, and so I, I, this, I think would help us understand our audience today a little bit more as well. So let me see if I can launch this. 
um, here we go. Uh, just about your primary work environment. This way also will help us understand because there are some nuances into how and when you are doing this. And so this um, this is a little challenging to answer because there are probably subtexts for each one of them. But primarily, are you presenting and creating remotely or are you presenting and creating in person? Great. I'll give it 10 more seconds for that poll. Love this. Okay, this is super helpful. Two thirds exactly of the audience today are presenting or creating remotely. And then one third are presenting or creating in person. Um, as, as you might imagine, the training that we've done has shifted dramatically in the last couple of years as the answers on the remote have gone up. We've been remote. I don't know if y'all know this, but at Management Consultant, we've been remote since 2010. So we, uh, we, we used to use Skype before there was Zoom or Microsoft Teams or other things to try to do these uh, communications. And um, we were using like Google Drive and right, other like before there was Dropbox, we were we were we were like really in the mix of the um, development around a lot of these things. So that will help us weigh in on that as we're going forward. Thank you. Back to you, Naman. Well, I actually wanted to ask folks another question here. I think Nicholas brought up a good point around what do you do when you don't have the trust of your stakeholders? Uh, and so I've got some answers to how to try to build trust before uh, before a presentation or a meeting, but I wanted to open it up to the group. Are there ways that you try to build alignment before you ever walk into a meeting or before you ever walk into a presentation? Does someone have insights that they'd like to share with the group around that? So once I've developed my SCQ and I've aligned everybody around um, where, we're, where we were, what the problem was, and then what the question is that we're answering today, I can move right into to my assertion, right into the meat of my, my presentation. And, and this is what um, tactically speaking, my, uh, my presentation and each piece of the pyramid look like. So let's start with the top. Let's start with the assertion. There are two pieces to any good assertion, a what and a why. So what are you meeting about or presenting about? And at a high level, why does it matter to that particular group of stakeholders? And we found over the last 10 years of implementing this and teaching this, that when you can get that assertion down to around 10 words, it's at its most crystallized form. Now, am I going to yell at you today if you give me a 17-word assertion? Like, absolutely not. Like, I will take a 17-word assertion over no assertion at all, but use this as a guideline to continue to really crystallize your messaging as much as possible and distill it down to just a what and a why. And I'll show you an example here in a couple of slides. Once you've identified your assertion, your arguments are, again, the chapters of your story, right? Why somebody should believe or do your assertion. And we're going to push you to, to have three uh, argument chapters in most presentations. So three big reasons why somebody should believe or do your assertion. And, and the reason that we're such big believers in the power of three uh, is just because of human psychology. Uh, so think of your favorite movies, your favorite Broadway plays. Most stories that human beings tell are told in three-act structures. Uh, and I would venture that most phone numbers or credit card numbers that you have memorized, you have memorized in three or four digit um, like sections or increments. Uh, and so one of our goals here when we're dealing and talking with busy stakeholders is that we want to ensure that at the end of the day, when the CEO or when our stakeholders laying down at night and they're coming out of 12 meetings, they remember our story above the others. They remember our meeting above the others. And so we want to tell short, pithy, 
kind of memorable, sticky stories that are going to stay with our stakeholders long after the meeting is over. Uh, and so when we can communicate in short phrases, when we can communicate in three-act structures, we're maximizing the chances that our stakeholders are going to remember what it is that we're trying to get them to do. And then inside of each chapter of the story, again, we want around three to four slides of data um, that reinforce that specific argument chapter. Uh, the goal of Pyramid Principle is not uh, to uh, just tell a story without data. It's just to incorporate the data at a different point in the story uh, and to only include the data that's going to reinforce the specific story I'm trying to tell today. Uh, kind of my key uh, takeaway for you from the data section is just have one slide, have one key message on it. Uh, so don't overcomplicate your slides. Uh, give me one key message on one slide and give me one uh, like really, really clear slide title that tells me exactly what I'm looking at and why it matters to me. And in future sessions, we're going to go into deeper dive detail on some of these. So if you have questions about them, you can um, you know feel free to message us today about them or formulate them for those future sessions. We know that we're, there's a lot to cover in an hour. So this is a really crude analysis on this slide. Uh, but the one question that every stakeholder asks when they're walking into a room, walking into a meeting is, so what? Why does this matter to me? I've got a million things on my plate. I don't want to be here. I'm going to try and leave this call early anyways, right? Like, like so what? Like, why does this matter? Uh, and, and at the end of the day, most of our functions exist inside of organizations for one of two reasons, right? Because our role either impacts the top line or the bottom line. Right. Uh, and there are multiple bottom lines that we're managed to. There are multiple reasons why our role exists. But at the end of the day, we either help our organizations make more money or we help them uh, save money. Otherwise, there's no business case for our role to exist. Uh, and so as you're crafting an assertion, one of the, the, the things that I recommend you do is just quickly think through why does my stakeholders role or function exist inside the organization? And how can I craft a message to speak to the KPIs that they're managed to, to speak to the things that they care about, right? To answer that hypothetical, so what, that they're going to be asking inside the meeting. Uh, and so you can see some direct language here on the slide um, to help you communicate, right, uh, a, a bottom line focus message or to communicate a top line focus message. But uh, as much as possible, right, I try to identify why does your job exist inside the organization and how can I craft a message that communicates that this is going to be good for you and good for your function inside of the org. I don't have a slide in here with sample assertions, uh, but Jenny Ray, do you have a, a, an example that you can share quickly? I'll put you on the spot of, of what a good assertion looks like. Sure. I mean, one of the things that we're working on right now in our organization, right, we have a high traffic website, right? Over 3 million people come and visit our website every year. And so what we can do with that website, we have a lot of different options. And I've, I've told students in, um, you know, trainings that we do at universities, we, we have probably somewhere on the order of 100 to 110 initiatives that we could utilize to make money, right? And so, um, one of the things that uh, that we do, a lot of our transactions are high profit transactions. So our main focus is on making more money, right? How can we make more money? Um, and so if somebody comes to me and says, we can do this, but doesn't finish the sentence with, 
this is more important or can make more or can make more faster um, or can can make more in you know direct alignment with what we're currently doing, um, then it feels like they don't understand our business, even though they've been working you know with and for us for a long time. And it also doesn't feel like they can do that. So it, it seems to take us around six months with a new hire to get somebody up to speed on answering this question inside the organization. And um, they usually lack confidence when they feel like they don't have the data, when they know the right questions to ask, that's when we can really plug the gap. So so one specific example right now is that we're working on uh, delivering better insight when people purchase smaller dollar items on our website. And we want them to purchase something that we think will fit them better. We can see what they're looking at. They're buying something that is a smaller dollar item. We think that there's something that can get them more of what they're looking for. And so we're working on getting the um, visibility presenting that. Someone came to us and said, this is what they're doing, not this is what we should do about it. So our feedback to them was, we need to know what action we need to take and who specifically inside our organization needs to take it. And finally, where it ranks out of the 110 things we could do, is it number 105 or is it number three, right? Where, where does this rank in terms of opportunity? And so just helping for them frame where they started with really good data into the right questions will help them become more effective in our organization personally. I found that stakeholders don't want more options. They want more confidence in the decisions that they're making. And so the more that I can give them confidence that they're making the right decision, the more that I'm going to be seen as an advisor, either internally or externally. Uh, and there are really three elements of a, of a good assertion that I just want to quickly call out here. And you can see a sample assertion here on the top of this page, um, the invest $2 million in paid media to reach 10 million engaged readers. I'll walk you through this story and this context in a minute. But first, let me just give you kind of three best practices to employ in any assertion that you're developing. Uh, the first that it, is that it includes a what and why component. And you can see that here. What do I want you to do? Invest $2 million in paid media. Why do I want you to do it? To reach 10 million engaged readers. Uh, the second best practice is that it starts with an action word. So we've cut out the fluff as much as possible, right? I want you to invest. I want you to reorient. I want you to um, uh, kind of uh, hire. I want you to uh, procure, right? Whatever the recommendation or the insight is, I want to start it with an action word as much as possible uh, to just dive right into what the what the key message is. Uh, and then the third best practice uh, that I would push you to include in every assertion is a metric, right? So invest $2 million, not just invest in paid media, right? Invest $2 million in paid media to reach not just engaged readers, but 10 million engaged readers. Uh, and, and one of the ways that this can be really helpful is actually uh, when I'm starting out uh, a piece of analysis or when I don't yet have the full story baked, I can draft an assertion that says, I think the answer is that we need to invest in paid media to reach engaged readers, but I don't know how much we need to invest and I don't know how many people we can reach. So I could write an assertion early on in my process that would be invest X million dollars in paid media to reach Y engaged readers. And that now tells me the data and the information I need to go find. It focuses my analysis. And if I find out that it's gonna take too much spend to reach not enough uh, engaged readers, then I reshape my story. Uh, but it increases the efficiency of my analysis because I give myself a, a starting point, right? Uh, it's a hypothesis that I can utilize. Uh, and so even if you're at the very beginning of your process and you don't yet have metrics to plug into your assertion, um, leave yourself placeholders and you'll find it'll make your, your analytical uh, work plan uh, much more efficient. So uh, we've got an assertion here that's got those best practices, a what and a why, an action word and metrics. 
right? And so this story is one that we helped a team put together inside of a large global foundation um, whose founder is the subject of many conspiracy theories, right? And so um, they they wanted help kind of identifying uh, after a, receiving a mandate from the board as to how they could combat some of the disinformation that was out there about their philanthropic, philanthropic work. Uh, and so we worked with the team inside of this organization to help them develop a story uh, and, and a recommendation to the request that the board had for this team. And after weeks and weeks of iteration, the answer that we got to, by the way, it's amazing how long it takes you to get to a final 10-word assertion <laughs> and how much works it work it takes to kind of boil everything down to a, a short curated story, was, was this, invest $2 million in paid media to reach 10 million engaged readers. So we, we identified the answer after kind of weeks and weeks of draft assertions, weeks and weeks of proving and disproving different hypotheses. Uh, and, and the next thing that we did is we tried to put ourselves in, in the board's shoes and think through what are their goals? Why are they asking us to do this? And what would their objections be to the story that we're putting together? So at a high level, their goals were to enhance the brand prestige of their foundation and to combat misinformation. And their objections could have been, and there were more than this, hey, is this the right amount of spend? What's the long-term return going to be on this spend? And how are we going to execute? Uh, right? Do we have the capability to deploy this capital well? Uh, and so we uh, ascertained that those would be their top objections, and these were their top goals. So we crafted arguments, we crafted chapters of the story to address those goals and address those objections. And by the way, this is exactly the process I would recommend you use as you're putting stories together. What are my stakeholders' goals and what are their objections going to be to what I want them to do, right? And, and really, the way that I encapsulate that in one phrase is, what will they need to believe? So we identified that what they would need to believe uh, are the following three things. Number one, we've identified the right channel for you to deploy part of the spend. Uh, and the right channel for us is Google. It offers us the highest ROI at 22%. Right. Once we capture, um, right, a subset, uh, or, or once we capture these readers through the right channel, uh, and we send them to our platform, we send them to our website. We've got a, we've got a secondary problem, and it's that that we've got we've got in, indistinct, boring, um, right, just crappy content, uh, and we found that eighty percent of our traffic lands on like the our top twenty pieces of content. So. There's no point in deploying capital on the right channel if we then don't revamp our top 20 articles or our top 20 pieces of content because we're spending money to drive them to something that's not going to convert them or resonate with them. Uh, and then our, our third chapter, kind of the next thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that we're capturing these, these readers for the long term. We understand, board, you don't want to spend $2 million to reach 10 million readers once. You want to reach a subset of those readers multiple times. You want to own them moving forward. Uh, and so the way that we can own them, the cheapest way to own them is email marketing. So one of the things that we need to do on those top 20 pieces of content is, is implement some kind of email capture mechanism, right? And that's going to be three times cheaper than other retention tactics. Uh, and right, there's an X percent conversion rate on that email capture mechanism. And that's going to, going to allow us to reach right, 10 million engaged readers for years and years and years on end because nobody ever unsubscribes from any newsletter that they that they join, right? Uh, and so that this is the story that we put together after identifying like 30 initial arguments, we boiled them down to these three. And, right, ended after that with next steps tactically that the board could take to start to execute. 
right? So spoiler, they ended up saying yes, like they ended up kind of moving forward with this strategy. Uh, but this is an example of how we took an assertion, put ourselves in our stakeholder shoes and started to craft arguments, craft a story uh, uh, that would prove that assertion before we ever put a slide together. Right? And if you'll notice, even the language inside the arguments is assertive. Right, so the the chapters weren't titled channel analysis, right? The the chapters were titled Google's the right answer, right? And so you can see here that we're remaining assertive even as we move move throughout our story. Jenny Ray, well, I know that um, we could probably stay, but a lot of you have a, a hard stop at the top of the hour. So um, as Naman is preparing the final slide for the uh, presentation, I just wanted to. Um, way on one thing here, uh, Naman mentioned the um, assertive style that goes throughout the presentation. Um, with this particular client, there were a lot of right answers, right? There were a lot of things that they could have done. Um, and ultimately, the board did not need to know what all of the other options were. That was the big internal battle that they had was that they wanted to tell the board that they had looked at 50 iterations and they wanted to present all, not, not all 50, but like a large subset of the iterations in order to prove out that they had come to the right thing. And so what we really focused on, which we will focus on in a later session is how to communicate with the data, what the later um, you know, con compare and contrast are. So it's like it, it ended up being instead of in the story, there are five options. It was in the data, right? Google is the best option versus the other things that we looked at. And so we were able to roll up what they had as five slides into one that communicated the compare and contrast, but not to cloud the story. And that was, I think, a really important um, you know, momentum shifting focus for their organization. They also had just really remarkable data and analytics access, and they got really bogged down in the amount of data that they could look at. Um, and, and so the refocus on the story helped a lot. Strategy Simplified, thank you for giving your time to this episode. If you want to hear more from Naman and Jenny Ray and the team on communication, on presentations and more, click the link in the show notes to get more information. Again, thanks for joining and we'll catch you again on the next episode of Strategy Simplified.